One. Mario. Hi, Jeff. Good to see you. Uh, as you know, I've just pressed the record button and I won't press it again until this conversation ends, whenever that happens to be. Um, whether there are interruptions, noises, it's, it's raw and uh, not, not live because there's no one else listening apart from you and I and whoever can hear through the wall. Um, but, but I might call this episode, because I was thinking of what I should call it, I was thinking of calling it The Way of Way. The Way of Way. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to disagree with that, <laughs> Richmond. If it, uh, yeah, it makes me smile. So if, if it makes other people smile, um, then, then fair enough. <laughs> and and for, for people that don't know, the reason why I'm calling it The Way of Way is because your surname is Way. Indeed, my surname is Way, uh, all <laughs> spelt with uh, W-E-I-G-H and not W-A-Y. This is true. This is true. So Jeff Way, um, who, I mean, we've known each other now for a few years and we've had many great discussions. Um, and, um, and and I was introduced to you, I believe, via Mike Pegg. I think that was, I mean, there's definitely a connection. I think that was how it came about. Um, and so, uh, you know, this is so appropriate because you are most definitely a, a positive encourager. And we're just going to sort of dig into that. Um, and uh, I'm going to ask you some very difficult questions. And uh, <laughs> no, you know me. We're just going to have a have a chat. But but maybe we could just just you know talk talk. Tell me about you. We'll tell the, the listeners about you. I'm I'm much better at telling people about other people. Um, but but I'll give you a flavour of of me or, or your listeners a, a flavour of me. Um, I spent best part of 10 years in in the corporate space uh, working for different banks uh, within learning and development before deciding to go solo back in 2010 so so 10 years ago um i've done lots of stuff in that in that time and and went back into um the corporate space for a short period of time uh, before being made redundant in 2014 um, and then have been on a bit of a journey with with my own business. Uh, my business is called Ignite, um, which in many ways typifies for me what encouragement is all about, or, or positive encouragement, and that that's trying to ignite different thoughts in in people's minds. Uh, Mike Pegg, the, the the brilliant Mike Pegg, did introduce me to you um, back in two thousand and eighteen, I believe it was. Um, that's when we were doing well that's when i'd launched the podcast my podcast perfect imbalance and we spoke we spoke because not only had mike recommended you but i was fascinated by the field that you were in in in, in terms of pain um i spent a bit of time with with my wife being an exercise scientist understanding elements of of physiotherapy um and, and sports science but I was just fascinated by the fact that you help people with pain. So that, that was the initial draw. Um, we soon discovered that we both had a love of running, uh, albeit you hadn't quite reached the running at that point. Um, so we were kind of still in a similar space um, when it came to running. And yeah, we've, we've kept that interaction dialogue relationship going over the last two years 
uh, virtually and face to face. We've ran down um, the uh, the Birmingham Canal, mm-hmm. um, which I think you know was, was was a great opportunity to to just chat. Uh, and more recently, before Wales went into lockdown um, in September or end of September, beginning of October, we actually ran um, a chunk of the North Wales coastline uh, back towards Chester together. So, yeah, that, that's a little bit about me. Yeah, no, absolutely. What, what was it that, that attracted you to, to that learning and development field in the first place? If I'm... If I'm being truly honest, I was in sales at the time and I didn't really enjoy sales. I was rubbish at sales, but I got an opportunity to to manage a group of, at the time they would have been called underperformers from, from different teams. And I didn't have any formal training or coaching background, but I had been introduced to some coaching a couple of years before when I was in hospitality. And for the best part of three months, I just coached them. Um, and actually I found I was pretty good at it and they started to show some, uh, some different results, but, but most importantly, they, they appeared to be more motivated and more engaged. So I'd stumbled upon this vocation, if you like, and I was on a management course, um, at M&S money, and I was approached partway through the course by, uh, somebody within learning development. It was one of those, what I call shady conversations at the photocopier that said, would you be interested in um, speaking to the training manager? Because we believe you've been doing some good stuff with uh, a group of people in sales. And I was like, yeah, why not? And with, within the space of a few hours, I met the then training manager in a darkened room with the lights off. Uh, and we had a chat about... Um, learning and development and pretty much got offered a job to um, move in to learning and development at MS Money. And, and I jumped at the chance because, like I said, I wasn't particularly good at sales. I didn't really enjoy sales, but I, I enjoyed helping other people. And that was back in um, 2003, uh, March 2003. And in July that year, I found myself in India. Um, having never trained anybody before and I was in front of a group of 150 people uh, as the lead trainer. So um, again, I'd had no formal training on how to be a trainer as such, but I thrived and loved being in front of people and picking up on their emotions and what they were saying, where the light bulb moments were coming from. And and I've stayed in L&D ever since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that performance side, that, that being up in front of people was something that, that really energised you? It, it energised me more than I realised. Um, you know, if we were to rewind the, the kind of the clocks back, uh, I was the quiet one um, for most of my education, actually, and most of my schooling. And, and I talk about this in, in, in my book, actually. I, I was the kind of archetypal quiet child that you know, would put their hand up, but but actually would get a question wrong and never put their hand up again. So, you know, fast forward to 2003 and, and being on a stage where people were listening to you and I felt this sense of, I could control where where the group was going, what we're doing was 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 empowering to me and, and liberating uh, because for many years, I, I didn't really have a, a voice. I was 
the, the quiet child. And if you were to line me up against my brother, uh, you know, that would <laughs> that would ring true. You'd be like, wow, okay. So he's he's the chatty one, you're the quiet one. So um yeah, it 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 set me up and, and it set me up to, you know, eventually go on and, and set up my own business, uh, having been in that space, you know, back in two thousand and three. Yeah. Now you're I would consider you, you know, to be very authentic, a very humble guy. Um and and yet, you know, to to go on stage, you know, does require a certain level of of, of ego in in a way, but in in a good sort of way, because you, you've you've got to you know, you've got to entertain, you've got to be able to engage. How do you sort of keep focused on being the authentic you um, that that actually is is very similar to the you that's chatting here? It, you know, it's a great question, and I, I'm I'm smiling because I'm. I, Firstly, you're right. There is there's a perception of people that get onto the stage, um, and again, it's the archetype. It's it's the confident person, the you know, the ego to to a point, and 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 if you're not careful, you you can lose who you truly are because you become this this persona um, or personality that that the audience you know wants. Um, that never really sat comfortable with me albeit in my early learning and development career the ego was very much at the front of, of you know the Jeff Way experience and you know I would happily get on any stage and go anywhere in the country to you know get in front of people and more people and, and it was it was hugely kind of you know rewarding in terms of you know, what people would say afterwards and the comments and the friendships and the relationships that I got to build. build. But but actually, it it wasn't true to who I was or, or who I really am. And I, I made a conscious decision when, when I set up my own business, um, even though the first one, you know, failed miserably. And, and second time round, I, I still had kind of, you know, scars from that first one to very much be myself and and allow people to connect with with who I truly am. Um, yes, I can perform. Yes, I can get on the stage. What I say to people now, though, is that that's practiced, and I hope it's authentic because it, it's coming from a, a, a place of authenticity. Um, and if other people want to do that, then then I can show them and, and help them do that. One thing that keeps me grounded the most, and, and this is why I smiled when you asked me the question, was whenever I walk out the door, and, and it's been a while this year, um, and it's not been as frequent as previous years, but whenever I leave the house to go off to work with a client, um, Emma, my wife, will always say to me, just be you, don't be a dickhead. <laughs> um, and and, and I, I can share that because... I know where she's coming from and I know that sometimes when, when the ego side, and we all have an ego and, and you're right to, you know, allude to that. When the ego side comes out, sometimes I get, I get distracted and I get carried away with the performance over application for, for the audience. Um, and just to have those words ring through in my head every time I leave the house 
it does keep me grounded. It, it comes from a, a you know a, a place of love um, and genuine sincerity. And in many ways, that's why I'm able to do what I do and hopefully maintain because I, I don't know unless people you know tell me otherwise. Hopefully maintain this element of authenticity because that's really important to me. Is the Jeff Way on show is is the real Jeff Way and not the projected Jeff Way that people might see on, on on a social media bio, for example. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, con- considering all that, I mean, your your journey thus far um, with with all the inevitable ups and downs. How how do you how do you define yourself now? What do you what do you call yourself? I'm just me. Um, <laughs> I I, <laughs> I I can take it or leave it in terms of the the, the social media noise um, and you and and you know many others who have been close to me during this you know kind of the last chapter um, or, or this year's chapter will will know that actually I'm I'm not comfortable with um, lots of noise and and lots of adulation um, I will frequently default to calling myself or referring myself to a, a, as a facilitator and coach. Um, yes, I've, I've, I've played about with other, other descriptions and, you know, at, at a point in, in the new year, I will proudly add author to, to my, my string, uh, if you like, um, but yeah, I, I'm a facilitator and a, and a coach. And, and when people say, well, what do you facilitate and what do you coach? For me, I like to break it down into very simple things. I, I ask questions. I listen intently and, and perhaps better than, than a lot of people do. I replay information and then I encourage people to go and take the steps that, you know, they want to take, but for whatever reason, need a little bit of a nudge, but there's, there's no real secret to, to what I do. It, it, it is simply those things. I, I ask questions, I listen, I replay information, and then I give people a, a nudge or, you know, a bit more encouragement if, if they need to kind of get out the door and take some steps. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's the essence of, of being an encourager, isn't it? And, and you mentioned listening. I mean, why, why is listening so important? I think listening is so important for for a couple of reasons. One, we live in a world of noise. Um, and actually we have, even before social media and, and the internet, there was, there was always noise. There was always somebody telling us something and we were told to listen. Um, and it was usually people of authority, whether that was in the, in, in the household, the family, or, or within education, or then when you got into employment. So... Um, listening's always been a, an underrated skill for me, but but actually nowadays, given that we do have the internet and we do have social media, I think it's even more important that we allow people the space and opportunity to be heard. And you you don't get that on social media; you just get more noise, and so it's very difficult then to to wheedle through the noise or, or indeed just pick up on the signals when when people put stuff out there that says hang on a minute this isn't this isn't congruent to who or what i think that person is so i'm going to 
provide a platform or an opportunity for them to talk and, and I'll just listen. Um, I, I think it's the most under, underrated skill uh, that, that we have as, as human beings. And if we all listen just a little bit more, we would be absolutely blown away with what, what we really hear, not, not what we think we hear, but what we really hear. And I, and, and I get it, it, it you know, it's 24 seven, it, it's crazy uh, out there. But if we don't stop and we don't pause and we don't allow people to talk, we, we're not really gonna get to the root of some of the challenges and problems and issues that we see and face around well-being, mental health, stress, anxiety, and all those types of things. You, you mentioned earlier on about how you you found your voice by by getting on stage, and then there talking about the importance of giving someone the space to to talk and to say things than themselves. So that's clearly a strong feature of of what you what you do. Why why do you think that has been so prominent in in what you do? Where, where's that come from? Do you think? It comes from childhood. Um, it took me a long time to realise it, but actually when you sit on your own and you reflect and you ask yourself some of those questions, um, you start to realise that, that, that it's there, it's, it's in the backstory, it's probably been filed and put away. Um, for, for me, listening has, has become so important because I never felt that I was listened to um, you know, and, and that's not to say that, you know, there was nobody there to listen to me, but at a very young age, the age of seven, you know, I lost my father, um, to cancer and, and, and it happened quite, quite suddenly, or from what I can recall, it happened quite suddenly. Um, and then both my brother and I, you know, went off to boarding school and, and no one was really there to talk to as such, you know, mum was at home. Dad was gone. Um, we had a new housemaster and a, and a matron who, you know, were kind of almost, you know, parents, shall we say. But they looked after, you know, several boys, tens, twenties, fifties, you know, however many in, in a boarding house. So you never got heard. Um, and, and I know when we came home and you're trying to make sense of it at quite an early age, you're wanting to talk people never really talked about dad. They just got upset when we talked about him. So it became almost an unwritten rule that said, you don't talk about dad. So I know for me, having not been listened to or have people there to listen to me at quite a young age has had a huge impact on, on me and has you know steered me towards this vocation without realising at first, but then by providing the platform for other people to talk and for them to be listened to, you then flip it onto yourself. By asking yourself those questions, you realize that you've not had the platform throughout your life or throughout periods of your life where people have been there to listen to you. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. So you, you know, you've taken something that is tragic and something that, you know, one of the toughest things a kid would have to face and, somehow over the years turned that into something now that's that's an invaluable um insight into what you know and using that in the way that you do to to encourage others i mean that's that's quite a remarkable thing to do it's taken me a while to get comfortable with it 
uh, and, and to see it that way. Um, it's, it's, it was easier for me to just carry on and, you know, look to help other people and look to be a sounding board or, or look to provide that space for, for people to talk. But I had this realization that actually I, I, I needed to do a bit more of that work on myself um, and, and have done over the last the last few years and and the only way to do some of that work on yourself is to you know stop trying to help others and you know look inwards and then find people that you can can talk to and share some of the stuff with and you know to, to coin Brene Brown to show an element of vulnerability and know that it's okay even though you know a lot of that trauma and, and a lot of that shaping happened, you know, a good a good thirty odd years ago. It it's been hugely cathartic for me to be able to not only talk and have people listen, but more importantly realize that actually there are people around me who who I can be vulnerable and raw with and know that that's okay. Because actually I think what that does is it, it allows me even more to be able to make myself available for others to to share and to open up to having gone through you know that process myself yeah yeah no absolutely i mean so we've known each other for for a few years and um it's it's always struck me how you know you you do that and and right from the outset we were i think that that first time we actually met we'd spoken a few times first time we met was when we had that run up the canals it was pretty cold um and and we were making our way up and and very quickly we were both talking about things like we've been mates for for years and years and years and and you you know you led the, the way on that for for sure um so you're you know you're prepared to take the risk yeah i i apologize to people um up front um because it, for me it's an occupational hazard um in many times during my career, I have been with, you know, other people that have either worked in other areas of the business or have been more senior to me or have been kind of, you know, directors of the organization. And there's one thing that I'm uncomfortable with and that's silence. So, you know, even though I was the quiet person, you know, as a child, I can't sit in silence. So I have to, in many ways, you know, force the conversation or start the conversation and then quickly, you know, people start to open up and talk. And I do apologize, you know, to some people because, you know, half an hour later and they're like, wow, I, I only met you this morning or I've only been with you an hour or so. And I feel like I've, I've shared everything. And, and I, I felt a bit like that on, on our latest run back in September and I was sharing that with a couple of friends. I was like, I felt like a pacemaker, but I felt like I was also keeping you going by talking you to death for four and a half hours at a point where you were probably physically and mentally exhausted. Um, and you've got me in your ear asking you all sorts of questions. But um, it, it's I, I think it's a blessing to be able to do that uh, and, and to be able to have those conversations. Whereas I know, you know, when, when I share that with Emma, she's like, I don't know how you do it. She said that that would be a nightmare for me. I mean, you know, making small talk or having conversations with people like you do. But for me, I, I find it a real blessing because, 
you know, you'd be amazed. And I know in the field that you're in, it will be something similar. When you've got that, that trust and that rapport, people will open up and, and yeah, some of the deeper stuff, which you just don't know how long they've been holding on to that. And it's, it's, it's a huge relief just to be able to share a part of that with somebody else and not be judged or not feel, you know, completely, you know, that you're going to shut down as a result. So, yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a blessing. Well, it is. I think it's, it is. It's a, it's a gift because, you know, you're, a conversation can be so heal, so sort of full of healing and it can be so therapeutic. It can be a catharsis. It can be a release. It can be all, all of those things. And, and it can just be merely the fact that you were prepared to ask someone maybe a slightly tricky question, um, but you create this sense of safety that allows that person just to kind of go, well, and, and out it all comes. And um, I, it's invaluable and, and particularly in this, in this field. Um, and, and just to call it the field of coaching, I don't think does you justice at all it's it's far it's far more than that because we're talking about people's life life journeys and you don't work on just this purely functional level you you work on i mean i'm using my language here of, of kind of the soul and the spirit but but who would you say have been your your major influences yeah the, the, there's a number of them really um there, there was a guy who i got to meet in eminence money uh, called Dig Woodvine, who uh, ran his own training consultancy at the time. Uh, I got invited onto one of his programs um, to to learn more about facilitation. He was a little bit older than me, a, a little bit wiser. Um, from an archetype perspective, he was more of the kind of, you know, the, the, the sage or, or, or the magician. Um, similar to Mike, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to have had these people come into my life at the point that they did. And, you know, he first got me thinking about working for myself. And he told me once that he takes every, every school holiday off and every half term off. And at first it was tricky to, you know, kind of position that with his clients, but over time they got used to it. And, and his kind of overriding message was you never get that time back. And, and that really resonated with me, you know, having lost my father early, and, and in many ways lost a big chunk of our relationship with mum, uh, having been away for, for 10 years of boarding school. That, that really got me. Um, and then two other people came in, as well as Mike Pegg, to, to, to m s Money. One of them was Miles Hilton Barber, who was a blind adventurer, um, who just kind of blew me away with, with his awareness and his attitude. Um, you know, he, he recorded an audio book called Living Your Dreams. He could see up until the age of 20, applied for the South African Air Force. They they detected this um, hereditary eye disease, um, which meant him and his brother would go blind. And, you know, his life changed at that point um, because he couldn't, he, 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 in his mind, he couldn't do anything. Um, and then his brother, Jeff, decided to set sail from uh, Durban in South Africa to the west coast of Australia on his own in a boat using speech output technology and I think to this day he's still the only blind person to have sailed across an ocean on his own but that inspired Miles and, and Miles's message when he came in was 
you know, if I can do this as a blind man, and then imagine what you could do. And that got me thinking and, and opened my mind up to, you know, the world of possibility. Um, he was such a, such an aware person as well. I remember him coming into the business and he sat in, we had a reception area. And as I approached him, he knew before I got within, you know, kind of 10 feet, he just knew. He said, Jeff, I was like, yes, Miles. He goes, good, good, good to be here, buddy, was his language. Good to be here, buddy. And he knew that I was going to not be comfortable or unaware of to how to navigate a blind person through the business. And before I said anything, he just said, if you could just give me your elbow and you can take me wherever you need to take me. And, and it just, it blew me away. Um, and the other person is uh, a wonderful, wonderful human being called Kirsty Mack, um, who came into the business uh, to provide some uh, business training, um, which I was fortunate to go on. And it opened up my eyes, it opened up my mind. And Kirsty was probably the only person um, that, that really kind of challenged me and my thinking differently. Um, and I, I mentioned one day, oh, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to run my own business one day. And she'd be like, yeah, great. One day, maybe, maybe. And I'm like, I'm definitely, she goes, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. I said, no, I'm going to do it. And she'd be like, yeah, cool. If you're going to do it, go and do it. And then the following morning I'd come in and she'd just look at me and I'd look at her and she, I think she said something along the lines of, so what have you decided? I'm like, what do you mean? Well, what you've been thinking overnight, what have you decided? I'm like, how do you know that? She was, and, and she, she, she was very clever um, at planting lots of little seeds in my mind, being completely aware of my limitations in my own mind, my, my limiting beliefs, my vulnerabilities. And she just got me and, there was one thing that she said, well, there's many things that she said, but one thing that really kind of left its mark was you meet people for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And at first I wasn't sure, but 12 years on, um, Kirsty is still a very good friend, not just of me, but the family. Um, so I suspect it's going to be a lifetime now. Uh, the, those three people at, at, at a really key time in my life had a huge impact Um on changing my direction and and you know if, if if they hadn't then there's every likelihood i would still be working in mls money great That's superb isn't it what would you consider to be your greatest challenge that you face so far uh, i've i've faced a lot of you know challenges um in in my life which many other people have, have faced in terms of, you know, losing important people in your life, um, being away, you know, at, at boarding school, I, I struggled with that um, for, for many years and had an impact on, on lots of relationships and, and did for years afterwards as well. Um, relationships, you know, I've, I've had challenges around, you know, relationships and, and them not working out, my business not not working. Um, I, I think my biggest, I think my biggest challenge, <clears throat> and it's still an ongoing challenge, 
and I think if we're all honest and, and we look at ourselves, we'll, we'll come to a similar conclusion. I think my biggest challenge has been myself. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, I, I have not had the courage to just step out of my own way um, and, and, and let myself or part of myself just, just run with it and, and, and see what happens. You know, we, we grow up in a lot of cases afraid of failure and, and making mistakes. And, you know, I, I fell miserably with my first business and, and then stood up at Phones for You and, and was training a group of leaders one day talking about failure. And one of the senior leaders pulled me to one side at, at first break and said, I don't think you should be talking about failure you know, about yourself being a failure. He said, I think, I think you're giving people the wrong impression. I think you're saying you're a failure. How can you help people? And I thanked him. I said, look, I, I thank you for, for the feedback, really. Um, you know, I, I, I'm completely comfortable with failure um, and, and learn from failure and, and have realized that actually if I'm going to get on, I'm, I'm, I'm going to fail from time to time. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to keep on talking about failure. And anyway, that same leader came to me at the end of the day and said, I now understand why you talked about failure in the way that you did. He said, uh, would you be my coach? And I, I tell the story and I smile because I think, again, the point is my biggest challenge has, has been myself. And I've been afraid to do lots of things in my life and held myself back. And it's only when, you know, you get to that point where you know, you're so far down the road that you can't go back, that you just have to keep going forward. And for me, that, that, that's my, my biggest challenge and also my biggest learning is we are capable of doing much more than we probably think we can. We've just either got to step out of our way or figure out a way or surround ourselves with the right people who can help us take some of those steps. Yeah, absolutely. Those, those connections, you know, you've alluded to that, you know, many times in the importance of that. Um, absolutely. And but what other ways, what other tools, I don't know how you want to term them. Do you, what do you draw upon when you're, when you're facing a challenge? I, experience has told me that each time I face the challenge, I've been faced with something new. Um, because actually, if you face a similar challenge to what you've experienced in the past, then then you're already equipped and you've got the learning. So it, it, it's not really a challenge. Each challenge for me is is, is something new. And, and that's where the fear kicks in. And that's where we we have this conversation with, with our, you know, a voice in our head as to whether or not we, we, we think it's a good idea. What I tend to do, and, and I've been doing this now for probably the last two, three years, is, is allow myself to embrace the, the feeling and what's associated with, with being a beginner. Um, because when, when we're a beginner, there's, there's lots of excitement. Yes, there's nerves. But there's lots of excitement, there's lots of energy, there's lots of enthusiasm. We're like sponges. Um, our views aren't kind of, or our thoughts aren't set in stone. Um, 
and we're we're open to new suggestions. And I think I think that's the wonderful thing about being a beginner or adopting a beginner mindset is whatever that challenge then is, and whoever I decide to, you know, communicate with or, or, or connect with, the likely it is they've got more experience or they've been through part of this journey before. So then the second thing that goes with this beginner mindset is just trust in the process. And, and in many ways, a really good example of this is, is, is the fact that I've now written my first book and, and it will be out in, in January 2021. This is an idea I've been kicking around for years, but I, I hadn't truly allowed myself to embrace that beginner mindset or trust people who have had that experience. That changed in March. And so then it became, you know, a lot easier for me to sit down, to write the words, to put it out there, to get it critiqued, to get some feedback, to share it with, you know, my wonderful support network and get, you know, their thoughts and their input on. Um, a few years ago, I wouldn't have done that. I'd have sat down and I know I have because I've, I've written half a book. In fact, I've probably written three quarters of a book in my own mind, but I'd written half a book previously, but it never saw the light of day. And I think when you embark on a challenge like that, where you're then going to put something out into the world that you've got no control over, what served me really well and still does is that beginner mindset and then trust in the process. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I love the the, the beginner's mind. Um Together with Kaizen, continuous improvement. I love both those those concepts, and you illustrate those and, and live those. Um, what what changed for you in March then? So I, the work for me started at the back end of last year. So as a, as a self employed um, learning and development organisation, I, I I found myself saying yes to lots of client work and lots of different client work but really what I realized was that all I was doing was saying yes to more work and saying no to writing the book and in September last year I, I paused the podcast to give myself a bit of space I went on a fantastic course um, on problem solving uh, which which is called pig wrestling and it's uh, hosted by um, or facilitated by um, Mark Borden and Peter Lindsay from MindFlick. They've done a lot of work with um, the likes of Man City and England Cricket. Andrew Strauss is the CEO. And those two days really allowed me to get clear on what the problem was. And, and the problem was, it wasn't a book writing problem. It was a belief problem. It was a belief in whether or not I could write a book. Um, and actually, when I looked at all the associated things that were stopping me from writing the book, saying yes to all these other pieces of work was one of those things. Doing the podcast was another um, reason uh, or excuse, if you like. Um, I was still um, hosting uh, Disrupt HR Edinburgh, which was another time that, that, that we, we got to meet. Um, and I just... I just cut back. I said no to all those things. And so I arrived in January with less in my diary. And I, for whatever reason, then found a publisher. I'd spoke to another publisher a couple of years ago. 
but it didn't quite materialize. But I found another publisher or they found me or we found each other and it just felt like the right fit. Um, I was on my way to Winchester at the beginning of March to work with a, a wonderful client uh, down there. And I was stopping off in London on the way to meet with the publishers, unload a load of information, and on the back of that, get the kind of the straw man or the structure for the book. And I did those four and a half hours with Ali and Layla from them publishing, uh, and was about to get back on the train, and I had a, a voice message to say um, all the staff have been sent home. I was no longer required in Winchester. Um, so I headed back home. We went into lockdown pretty much a day or so afterwards. And I started writing the book. So, it, I mean, the wheels were already turning, but then the, the lockdown situation was, was really, you know, the, for the, final, the final switch, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I view these things as, as happening for a reason. Whether they're fate or not, I, I don't know. But similar to when I was made redundant in 2014, pretty much everybody I worked with went down the pub on, on the announcement. Bearing in mind the announcement was 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, everybody then headed off to the pub. I headed home and I spoke to Kirsty Mack on the way. Um, I spoke to a gentleman called Steve Adams from Dubnest um, and I got in touch with uh, somebody called Jim Lawless as well, who's written Tame, Taming Tigers. And these were people in a similar space to where I wanted to be. And so I'd already set my intent that I was going to work for myself again. And this was a perfect opportunity. When we went into lockdown, and pretty much most of my work, I, I would say a good 90% of my work went on hold or was postponed. Um, a small percentage went to virtual. Then the, the kind of the canvas was there. Um, and Jess was still at school to begin with, but then she would be at home as well. Um, so I, I, I just changed my, my focus and, and my, my thinking. Um, I've always loved running in the morning, as you know. And if I don't run in the morning, I tell myself that oh, it gets further into the day and I, I, and I don't enjoy it. So sometimes I don't run. But I realized, actually, I enjoyed writing in the morning. So um, I, I, speaking to Mike Pegg, he asked me when my prime time was, um, you know, when, when, when am I in flow? And, and it was first thing in the morning for the first couple of hours. And then I had a kind of second window in the evening when Jess went to bed and he was like, just write in those windows. Okay, don't do it every day, but just write in those windows. Don't try and write in the middle because you'll probably get stuck and, and you won't write a great deal of quality and you might want to go back over it and delete it. And so that was the process I followed. I submitted the first chapter, got some feedback, then another chapter, then another chapter. And then, you know, found this confidence that actually what I was writing was making sense but but also coming across in the way that i wanted it to happen and yeah between then and the beginning of september first week in september so six months i'd uh, submitted the the full first manuscript wow i mean that's that's quite incredible also considering the fact that 
you know, going into lockdown, that, that sudden change in circumstance of, of work, you say 90% drying up or, or putting on hold, you know, that, that could shake someone's foundations because there was no knowing how long it was going to last. But yet you were somehow able to channel your energy into writing, which requires, a, you know, a clear head, not a stressed head. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say I didn't struggle at times um, because I did. And, you know, even even though I, I, I'd found this new love of writing and, and it was, you know, it was a joy to write. I've shared this many times. I never felt I never felt some of the challenges that, that, that writers share. You know, I didn't really have writer's block. I, I, I wasn't conscious of whether or not I was worthy enough or credible enough to write. I just, I gave myself permission to write. But when I stopped writing and then I was homeschooling Jess and I was doing that and that was my pattern. And then I was picking up, you know, my older two kids, Bex and Alex and, and having them, um, you know, once a week or, or, or twice a week, I, I quickly got to a point probably in May where I, I felt I'd lost this sense of purpose. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't getting, you know, client calls. I, I wasn't getting them coming back to me saying, you know, we've weathered the storm or, you know, we're, we're ready to talk about new dates or, or what have you. Um, and my core purpose as, as I thought it was still wasn't there. So I, I, I did find myself struggling. Um, I think what helped me most was being able to, to to share some of that with with people that that were either close to me had come into my circle or or through writing I, I wrote um, a short series of you know blog posts that I call note to self um, which allowed me to kind of dump some of my thoughts but but also to to kind of be available should anybody else be in those situations where they were struggling or looking for structure or lacking purpose um so it wasn't always easy um but i found a way to structure my day and my week and, and again you know emma was very good at reminding me that actually part of my purpose had become homeschooling with jess and we often laugh now looking back because if you look at her school book she had this pink exercise book that she was given um when they went into lockdown we pretty much filled it in <laughs> next no time and, and i thought we were going to have to ask for a new book um which hasn't been the case for you know some of the other children in her class but we were doing everything i was doing everything and i was i had an agenda um and in the end i just i realized that you know at the age of five you, you don't need this structured teacher <laughs> uh, so it became a bit more free flow um you know as we got into it but we covered so much and they might do space in the term we did it in a week <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah i i struggled but at the same time i had enough support and create enough structure in my day and my week to allow myself to feel that I was still fulfilling a purpose. Yeah. 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 So you, you reestablished your sense of purpose and how, how would you describe or define your purpose now? 
uh, I, I, I still see my purpose as helping other people. I think what's happened during during this year is not always through choice. It's made me step back and reflect on how I support and help other people. And for a long time, I thought I was best placed being in front of people in a classroom situation, taking them through learning or, you know, sharing a, a talk or, or whatever it might be. I think I've found other ways to to be of service and, and to add value to to people's lives, which isn't necessarily requiring me to travel the length and breadth of the country to physically be in front of people. Um, I think the likes of Zoom and, and, and Teams and, and Skype have, you know, allowed that to happen quite quickly. I still think we have to be careful with it because I do think we get we can get burnt out by spending too much time in, in front of screens, especially because a lot of our downtime is in front of then smaller screens. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think I think my purpose has has remained the same. It's the vehicle I think that has evolved, and I actually prefer being at home. Um, you know, I'm, I'm there's a small amount part of me that. You know, at some point in 2021, we'll we'll relish the opportunity to to be in front of a live audience. But actually, that that was probably more the ego side of me that wanted that satisfying. Whereas, you know, it ain't all glamorous what we do. You know, sometimes you travel to obscure places that are hard to get to on rickety old trains, and you know, you're staying in. Um, you know, interesting hotels, shall we describe it in that way? Um, so I think the fact that I can be of service and help people from the comfort of my own home, I, I, I think is a, is, is a blessing um, and one that, you know, I will look to continue to do as much of uh, going forward because it allows me then to, to be close to the important people. And as much as I loved being in front of people, I also loved getting on the train or getting in the car and heading back home. And, and, you know, that, that for me, that feeling of walking back through the door into your own home, sometimes you do have to go away to experience it. But, but now, you know, this period of time has, has, has been wonderful in that respect where, you know, I can see the important people every day in my life and, and, and do some of the things like school run and school pickups. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I talk about um, with with people I work with um, re-engaging or reconnecting with three P's and a B, and and you've you've captured them all there. So you know I know I know your love for running, and that's that's connecting with one's body and getting out into nature. So that's one of the P's, connecting with the planet, and then people and purpose. And I think that. If, if we are truly connected with those four things, then we, we are doing pretty well along that route of, uh, of feeling energized and being in a position where we can play to our strengths and, and give. And as you know, you want to, you, you want to give to other people and help other people. And that's a big part of the, the book. If, if you were to capture your own philosophy with, with three words, what would those three words be? That's an interesting question. Um, 
And for words. listeners, I didn't, I didn't tell Jeff or didn't give him any insight into any of the questions I was going to ask. So I'm, I have put him on the spot a bit here. I, I think it, in many ways, when when I when I hear people ask the question, you know, what what would you tell your younger self? Um, I always come back around to the thought of I'd like that flipped the other way. What would your younger self say to you now? Because uh, I think that's equally as powerful. And I think I arrive at the same answer. And, and the same answer is, you know, my philosophy is go for it. You know, you, you're going to make mistakes and, and I've made plenty. Um, with mistakes come learning. I think with learning comes wisdom. And, you know, I feel really fortunate to arrived at this point in my life having made lots of mistakes, had lots of learning and have a degree of wisdom that I'm able to, you know, articulate and, and share with other people that are on, on different points on, on their own journey. So go for it. It's, it is a cliche that, that life is short. And, and, you know, this year, especially, you know, reminds us all of that, but, but just find, find what it is you want to do. And even if you don't know, have a go at lots of things. And, and by default, you, you'll find it, um, you know, connect with as broad a group of people and, and different minded people as you can find, because again, you won't, you won't have lasting relationships with all of them, but there's a chance that you're going to meet them for a reason, season, a lifetime. And, and they're going to be part of that stage of your journey. And, and if you do those things, then there's every likelihood that you will arrive at a point where what you're doing, you, you enjoy, you love, it won't feel like work. Um, people will pay you in, in most cases, some people won't, but, but that's okay. Um, because actually you're, you're doing, you're doing something that actually comes from within and allows you to fulfill that greater purpose. So yeah, go for it would, would be my philosophy. Fantastic. I, I don't. I don't think that um, there's any more or any better way to conclude the conversation. I did have one or two other questions, but I think that's just the perfect ending. Um, so, Jeff, it's been brilliant, and thanks because you know you shared some really meaningful and personal um, stories there. But that—that's you. You're, you know, that that human side just comes through in bounds and you know i love chatting i love listening to you and uh, and hopefully we'll have many more conversations richmond has been an absolute pleasure and i thank you for the opportunity to come along and you know answer a few questions and and, and share a few stories because uh, it, it's quite rare to to find myself on the other side um, of the microphone so I, I thank you wholeheartedly for, for reaching out and giving me the opportunity. That's brilliant. Great to see you. You take care. You too, mate. Cheers. <laughs>